theyeshiva.net. There was once a rabbi and a priest and a Muslim sheik which, who walked into Starbucks to drink a uh, latte for $9.50. And as they were sitting around one of the small tables schmoozing about something that would not be controversial, they thought of discussing the following question, a question that must be dear to the heart of every person sitting in this room if you take your job seriously. And the question is, what would each of them like to hear people say at their own funeral? The priest says, I would love to hear people say at my funeral, he was a true friend. You could rely on him. You could lean on him. In a moment of need, he was there for you with his whole heart and soul. The Muslim sheikh says, I would like to hear people say at my levaya, at my funeral, he was a true servant of Allah. He was a true servant of God. He was ready to sacrifice his whole existence for God. Rabbi, how about you? What would you like to hear at your funeral? The rabbi says, I would like to hear somebody say at my funeral, you know, I think he's moving. <laughs> well, <laughs> I begin with this anecdote, not only because uh, of all the wonderful, my wonderful friends here who sell life insurance, and uh, convince us that we're never going to die. But if we do, our wives are going to love them. But also because it really underscores a very deep truth about the Jewish people. A truth about the Jewish people that maybe has sustained us in thousands of years. Because while we had so many excuses to choose death or depression, we always remained loyal to the two words of Moshe Rabbeinu that he articulated 3,300 years ago, right before he passed away. And he told the Jews two words, Under all circumstances, choose life, love life, celebrate life, create life. I want to share with you a very powerful insight that was presented some 40 years ago, a Shabbos in Montreal, by the famous Rosh Hashiva of Lakewood, Reb Shnei Kotler, Zeich And he once said the following. This week in Parshas Re'eh, the Pasuk says, Lois is do. What does Lois is do mean? When a loved one passes away, don't scrape your flesh. There was a pagan custom of people who would scrape off their skin, their hide, their flesh as a sign of mourning. Moses tells the Jewish people, Moshe says, Lois is going to do, don't do that. Comes the Gemara, the Talmud, those who understand a good Yiddish and a good Yeshivish won't mind if I explain everything for those who don't, you'll forgive me. Comes the Talmud in Tractate Yevamis, page 13, and says, Lois is going to do means something else. Lois asu agudis agudis. 
Don't turn your people into groups. Don't compartmentalize the Jewish nation. Don't have a synagogue, a community, a shul. Everybody is doing the opposite just because the other guy said this. I do the opposite. Somebody once asked me a contradiction. Sometimes it says, Minig Yisrael Toiruhu. Sometimes it says already in Rishonim, Minig Oisius Gehenim. What is it? Is a Minig Toiru, is a Minig Gehenim? I said it depends. If it's my Minig, it's Toiru. If it's your Minig, it's Oisius Gehenim. Which means purgatory. Loisasu Agudas Agudas. Don't become, don't become so polarized. Yeah. Somebody once asked the question, why is it by Jews, you say, you greet very weird way. I say to you, Shalom Aleichem. So you respond, Aleichem Shalom. The opposite. Imagine I tell you, good evening. You say, evening good. How are you? You are how? What's going on? Ongoing what? You're going to say, you know, you have to see somebody and it's very, very urgent. And yet, in Hebrew, I say, Shalom Aleichem, peace unto you. And nobody even blinks an eye. Unto you, peace. Aleichem Shalom. Why don't you just respond in kind? Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem. The answer, of course, is when two Jews meet, even before they enter into a conversation, the first thing is they have to get into an argument. I tell you, Shalom Aleichem. You look at me, what are you talking about? Kfira, Pikursus, Tumma, Mamesh, Arois. Not Shalom Aleichem, it's Aleichem Shalom. The famous Kabbalist Jackie Mason, he says that when two Jews meet, if within the first three minutes they don't establish a family relationship, one of them is not Jewish. If they don't get into an argument within three minutes, one of them needs conversion. So the Gemara says in Yevamis, Loisasu agudus agudus. Don't split. Don't fight. Don't make compartments. They say a gewaldic avort from Abchayim Valajana. Unbelievable. Gewaldic avort. Some people say it in the name of somebody else, but the lesson is powerful. The days of the great fight, the great dispute between the Mesnagdim and the Hasidim. So the Vilna God signed a cherem, a ban, excommunicating the Hasidim. And many others followed suit. So they came to the Rav of the Lithuanian city of Alajan and the Rosh Hashiva of Alajan, Rav Chaim Alajan, and they asked him to sign the Chaim, the ban. He refused. It's known that he refused. He's not there. If you see a copy, he's not there. So they told him, your Rebbe signed the ban. Signed it. He said, my Rebbe did. I don't. They said, but your Rebbe is a Malach Hashem Tzvakas. Your Rebbe, your master, is an angel of God. If he signed it, you should sign it. And this is what he told them. He said, when Avram Avinu sent, when Hashem, when God sends Avram Avinu Abraham to sacrifice his son on the altar in the Akedah, which we read every morning. So what does it say? God turns to Avram, to Abraham, and he says, take your son and offer him as an offering. He takes Yitzchak, he brings him up to the altar, he ties him up. He takes the knife, he's about to sacrifice his son. What happens? An angel of Hashem calls out, Don't lay a finger on the lad, don't touch him. Ask of I don't understand. 
Who sent him to go do the offering? Hashem, Elikim, God himself. Who tells him not to do it? Amalach. Where did the Rebbeinu Shalom go in between? Where did he go? He went to West Point. Where did he go? Come back and say, don't do it. Zeb Chaim said the answer is as follows. If Hashem wants to tell you not to slaughter a Jewish child, he could send a malach. It's enough to send an angel to give a message, don't shecht a Yiddishkin, don't slaughter a Jewish child. But if Hashem wants you to slaughter another Jew, a malach is insufficient. Then he has to come himself and say, I want you to slaughter this person. My Rebbe, he said, is a malach Hashem Tzvokos, no question. An angel of God he is. But if Hashem wants me to shecht naiden, if he wants me to slaughter a Jew, I'm sorry, he has to come himself. And he did not sign it. It's a historical fact. He was a Talmud like no other Talmud. You could read his introductions to the Gon Swarm. You could see what type of student he was. He was a genuine Talmud, probably admit, but he did not sign despite his Rebbe. Comes Reb Shnei Kotler and asks a Givaldic a question. The truth is the question is asked by the Maharal of Prague in his commentary, Gurari on Parshas Rei. Nowhere in the whole Shas, in the whole Talmud, in the whole Medrash, nowhere do you find a situation where you have a word and you learn now two things from the word that are completely disconnected and disjointed. Not only a Yovan and Sukkah, a Turk and Sukkah. Yovan and Sukkah at least made it into the lingo. It's a New Zealander in a Sukkah. Lois is going to do, don't scrape your flesh when somebody dies. I got it. Lois is going to do, don't make fights in the community. Don't split up. The same word, completely disconnected. It's not the same theme, it's not the same issue. It's not a pistolin mudim about mourning, or tulim mudim about machloikas. The Maral says, he says, We don't find such a limit. So Reb Schneier answered, he said, it's not two separate things, it's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same point. What's the issue? Somebody's body has a kedusha, a body you have to take care of. That's why you sell life insurance. A body has an integrity. A body has a wholesomeness. Even in a very difficult moment of mourning, a person doesn't harm himself, a person doesn't harm herself. You don't start scraping the flesh, the skin off your body. It's part of your body, it's holy, it's sacred, it's sensitive, you don't even have a right to do it. Baz famously says in the Rambam, we don't even own it to do it. I'm not allowed to harm myself if not for a medical purpose. It's not mine. It's a gift. It's a deposit. It's a treasure Hashem gives me to take care of. Which is why you're going to be eating so healthy tonight. Even though some of your wives are not here. But they sent me to uh, give you the message. Especially when dessert comes and the main course comes. You have to take care of your body because it's wholesome. The Jewish people, Klal Yisrael, is one body. The Jewish people is one goof. It's one organism. When you split up the Jewish people, when I say, you're not part of me, 
It's mamish like scraping off the skin off my body. When I separate, when I segregate, I said, you're not mine. Your issues are not my issues. You don't look like me. You don't dive in my nusach. You don't agree with me. You're not in the same group like me. You're not me. I'm scraping the skin off my body. Lois is going to do exactly the same mitzvah. It's exactly the same thing. Reminds me, the Heilike Reb Matala Chernobyla, Shusa Yogan Aleinu, after his father, Reb Nochem of Chernobyl, passed away, he did not see him, he was craving to see him in a dream, in a vision, and he did not see him for a long time. And then after a few months, his father appeared to him in a dream, and he said, Tata, why did you not appear to me? Why didn't I hear nothing from you? No regards from heaven. And he says, there was something, I couldn't come to you. Did you do anything wrong in the last few months? My soul could not, could not come. So he says, no, tell me, what did I do? He says, perhaps you insulted somebody, you were disrespectful to somebody, you were insensitive to somebody, you harmed somebody. He says, God forbid, I never did such a thing. What is it you're referring to? He says, think about it. Was there ever a Jew who came to you in the last time, the last season, and he spoke to you about how difficult his life is? He says, yeah, there were various Jews who came. And what did you tell this Jew? He says, well, one Jew I told the Pasuk, Ki yes, asher yehav, Hashem yoichiach. That the person who Hashem loves, yoichiach, he chastises him, he rebukes him, he gives him muster, he challenges him, he cleanses him. When I love you, I take care of you, I cleanse you. Hashem. He, I told the Jew, Hashem must love you, yoichiach. Father says, ah, feh, that's not nice. That's why the Jew came to you. He came to you because he's broken, so you should tell him, oh, God loves you. He'll probably break you even more tomorrow. That's what he wanted to hear from you. He says, Rebbe, I, what should have I said? So he said, I'm going to tell you how they touched the verse, the Pasuk, hearing on Aden, here in paradise. And the Halekir of Nachim Chernobyl told him, here we touch, you know, in the Tanakh there's no commas. Here we touch Azoi. If you really love another Jew, then you give Musa to the Rebbeinu Shalom. If you love a Jew, Hashem then you should go to Hashem and scream like Avram Avinu, like Moshe Rabbeinu, like Yirmiyah Navi, like David HaMelech, if you don't really love him, you say, yeah. If you really love him, then you say, Hashem and of course, I share all of this with you because it's really extremely moving to see, number one, eight different companies in the Jewish world sitting together in one room. Say <laughs> again. They're not sitting together in one room. They're almost in one room. There's a half a mechitza. Pens the shit of Reb Moshe, the Sat Merav. I see what's going on. Okay. Okay. 
And for them, I think for this, we all owe a big Yeshikoyach to the Yoel Yitzchak for the vision. <laughs> to understand that everything in life has limits. And when it comes, when it comes to create the computer science for the blind, to be able to help those people who may not be from our immediate family or our immediate environment, but they're part of our body, they're part of our soul, they're our brothers, they're our sisters. Here, the normal rules of distinctions and differences must dissipate to tune into a larger vision in which lois is going to do. We don't detach our skin from our body, Khalila, nor do we ever detach a Jew from the larger structure from the larger koima of Knesset itself, from the larger organism of the Jewish people. Now I asked, I, Reb Nochem, Reb Nochem, uh, Reb Nochem Lehman, Gesund, came to see me a few weeks ago, and he showed me the technology of what they have accomplished for these types of people, who are dealing with very serious illnesses, whether it's ALS or cerebral palsy, etc., etc. Hashem Yerapam B'Rufuah Shleima. And he showed me, and it was extremely impressive. It happened to be that a few days ago I was giving a lecture in Woodridge in the Catskill Mountains for Agudas Yisrael. They have shiurim there, and somebody asked me if I could come visit her husband. And I went in, and he's sitting and learning all day up there in the mountains. So I saw live, vividly, the technology. Here is a Jew, used to sell sinks, used to sell bathtubs, used to sell similar appliances. For, uh, for seven years, from the age of 42, when he is diagnosed with ALS, he sits in one place, but he sits and learns literally all day. I, was learn I saw as he was learning, I watched it, I observed it, and the technology for him to be able to learn Tanakh, to be able to learn Mishnayis and Gemara and Halacha, to be able to learn Nigla and Nister, Musa and Hasidus, to be able to listen to shiurim, watch shiurim, yoimam v'layla, quite literally, it was literally such a beautiful demonstration of the triumph of Jewish love and sensitivity and compassion and tzedakah and chesed and avos Yisrael, the greatest demonstration of this truth of lois is goydedu, and it's a, everyone here should feel a great privilege, as I do, to be able to be part of this great institution, to reach out and give our hearts and souls an imagination and dreams under the leadership of uh, Reb Nochem and Reb Yoel Yitzchak to such a priceless project that instills hope and meaning into the lives of people who have experienced life in ways that many of us can barely fathom what it means to be in those circumstances and those conditions. So I asked my friend, Rabbi Yitzhak, was willst du ich so reden? So he says, how to grow your business according to Torah. Now, to be honest, I'm not a businessman. I never ran a business. I don't know how to grow a business. So I have to say that on the onset, I know you had workshops today and probably many people stood here with a lot of experience, 
maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they open businesses, they close businesses. They once asked, they say the Leif Simcha, the Gary Rebbe once said, what's Pshad and Pirkei is Ben Chamishim La'etza. When you're 50, you give advice. Why 50? So he says, because when you're 50, you made so many mistakes in your life, that at that point, you could start giving people advice what not to do. You don't know what to do, but you could tell them what not to do. They say there was a Yid, he was 60, and he came to the base Yisrael, his brother, and he said, he's very worried. He said, why are you worried? So he said, Ben Shishim Lezikna. It says, when you become 60, you get old, I'm afraid. He says, you don't have to worry. When you were 40, you didn't gain any understanding. You don't have to worry. When you're 60, you won't gain any Zikna. I'm not sure I have the Bina or the Eitzah or the Zikna. To be able to tell you how to grow your business according to Torah wisdom. However, however, I do want to share some insights that I think are universal and generic in any biz type of business that a person has, but particularly in your business, which is really reaching out to people, addressing people, people, companies, offices, groups, organizations for life insurance. And although I compiled a list of the seven highly effective habits of people running businesses, but not Stephen Covey's highly effective habits, which are very effective and very wonderful, because just to say over his is, but rather I want to address with you and to you some points. I have seven. I doubt with the way I go I'm going to be able to cover seven. But whatever I can cover, we're going to cover. But Ezer Hashem, and we'll move on. Item number one, perspective number one in your business, and really in, in my business, and I think in all of our businesses, kol chad if sure delay, not only at work, also in home, at home, also in our relationships, or whatever endeavor we're involved in in our lives, of course, first and foremost, our business. Has to do with what we call in English the blame game. Baruch Hashem, we Jews always have somebody to blame. First of all, we could blame our mother. If not our mother, we could certainly blame our shviger, our mother-in-law. We all know that. There was a yid who came to Arav. He had a daughter. They have a minig that they give a name from the Parshas HaShavua. It was Parshas Mishpatim. He asks the Rav, how can I name from Parshas Mishpatim? There's no names. He says, there's one name, Machshefa. He tells the Rav, I can't name my daughter that. He says, why? He says, my mother-in-law is alive. <laughs> we could blame. You could blame your father, you could blame your father, you could blame your Rav, your Rosh Hashiva, your Yeshiva, your community. If not, you could blame the world. If it's really bad, you could blame the President of the United States. If it's even worse, you could blame Netanyahu, you could blame North Korea. Whoever, there's a lot of, and you know what? You're probably right. <laughs> You're probably right. Lahavdu, I should say Lahavdu in some of those names. There's a lot of people to blame. But here's the deal. Successful people, successful people are not into the blame game. Not because no, there's nobody to blame. There's one reason. They're interested in effectiveness. They're interested in results. They're not interested in justifications and rationalizations. But the job was not done. The Gemara says in Chulun, a famous Gemara, Lama Nikrashma Ra. One of the birds in this week's parsha that's not kosher is called Ra. They say it's a kite. Why is it called Ra? 
Do you know what the Gemara says? Oimedes Bebavel, Veroyen She stands in Babylonia, in Iraq, in the ISIS territory, and she sees on Avela a dead carcass, a corpse in Etisro. You know how far Iraq from Israel is? Anybody knows? You never took the flight. Okay. I guess you weren't on Begin's mission in 1981 to uh, get rid of Saddam Hussein's nuclear reactor, Tammuz. Okay. It's approximately 500 miles, 550 miles. How many of you could see 500 miles? The raw, the kite, could stand in Iraq and see an availing Israel. I ask you a question. The Gemara wants to bring out why it's called the raw. It has good eyesight. From all the examples in the world. Why that example? She's standing in Bovel and she sees a carcass in the land of Israel in Israel. And also, why is she a not kosher animal? She has good eyesight. It's great to have good eyesight. And of course, the answer is very profound. The answer is that's why she's a non kosher bird. You're standing in Bovel, you're looking at Israel. In Israel, there's a lot going on. Are there problems? Of course. Challenges? Of course. Issues? Of course. But the only thing you see is an avail. The whole end is raw. You don't see anything. You only see nevelas. Wherever you look, somehow your eyes attract an avail. This already has nothing to do with the avail. This has to do with you. This has to do with me. Listen to this. Everybody knows when we check the chametz, my particular chametz, what do you use? You use a feather, you use a spoon, you use a bag, you put in the ten pieces of bread that they sell today so nobody has to work hard. You put it in the bag, the next morning you burn it. What else do you burn? You burn the spoon, you burn the feather, you burn the bread, and you burn the candle. As the Svasemes. Why are you burning the candle? What did the candle do? Today we have, thank God, lots of candles. Then a candle was very precious. You have a candle, half left over. Why are you burning it? It's not chametz. didn't touch chametz. didn't come close to chametz. I have to say it in Yiddish and then I'll say it in English. He says, the pshat is, But the ganze tachlis is, to gefinden chametz, bestalein ashtik chametz. If your entire objective in life is, what are you? I'm a candle. For what? I'm going to find the chametz everywhere. He says, then you are the first piece of chametz. You got to go. They say, I'm Isa, a small munkus, a big chassid. He was in a little town where he lived. And before Rosh Hashanah, this time of year, a market came, a preacher came, and he started to give mus, he started to rebuke the oilam. And he started to tell them how they're going to be punished. The old Magidin would give fire and brimstone. Hurl fire and brimstone on the Kehillah. Men, women, and children before the Shoshana, you want to make them cry. He described to them the levels of Shiva Maduri Gehenim, the levels of purgatory. One barbecue above another barbecue. Each one they satay you with more heat and greater barbecue sauce that's bubbling. And he described to them the levels of hell they're going to experience because they didn't repent. The poor women and men were wailing, simple, fine Jews. He was warning them and thrashing them how horrible it is. He finished. They were all weeping and he felt good. 
It was a success story. Galungan, he would get his paycheck and move on to the next city to scare the late living daylights out of them. Shmuel Munkas was a chassid shayid from the school of the Baal Shem Tev, who did not tolerate this type of talk to Jews. So he goes into his motel, Mitzoy Shabbos. He says, Rebbe, ah, Azad Rosha. Wow, what a sermon. You touched my heart, Gewaldik. He says, yeah, 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 it was real, it was sincere. You guys really have to do tshuva. What brings you here? And Rebbe Shmuel, this chassid shayid, slowly takes out his challah. Takes out a knife from his pocket. He says, what's this? He says, I'm the shaykhet here. I'm the ritual slaughterer of this town. He says, wow, wonderful, great mitzvah, great merit. He says, I'll tell you a problem we have. It's brought in halacha that before Rosh Hashanah, you should go to the gravesite of great people, your parents, tzaddikim, to pray to Hashem for a new year. We don't have a tzaddik in our cemetery. We don't have righteous people in our cemetery. We don't have. That's why we're wicked. So he says, I, I know, I know. How can I help you? He says, when I heard your speech, I realized you're the tzaddik we have been looking for. <laughs> he goes over with the knife. L'shem yichud kuchabrichu shchintar eni muchanam azuman l'shchet es tzaddik yisoy doylam kadeisha yiyib beis hakvaris shalonu tzaddikim gdoylam va'atzumim va'anakim. I'm going to shecht you, slaughter you, so we can have buried in our cemetery a great tzaddik. And as he gets closer and closer, the man sees he's serious. He says, Bismashugi, you crazy? He says, Loi sirtzachin, I'll let him murder. He says, listen, I'll do one sin, but forever we'll have a tzaddik buried in our cemetery. It's a gavaldic thing. He sees he can't get rid of this guy. He says, I'm not such a tzaddik. He says, yo, wow, you're humble too. It's two for one. For sure I'm going to take you. You're a tzaddik, you're humble. Baruch Hashem. He says, no, 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 I'm serious. I'm not a tzaddik. He says, what do you mean? He says, I have done a few sins in my life. He says, listen, relative to the sins that we did, which you just described, you're a great tzaddik. He says, no, 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 I'm really not a tzaddik. He says, tell me the types of sins you have done. He was desperate. So he started to tell him what he did yesterday, what he did the day before, what he did the week before. He looked at him and he said, do menuvo. The chutzpah of a person. You get up, and you're cursing holy Jews, men, women, and children, just you should be able to feel arrogant. Your narcissism that you call religion is an excuse to put down people. If I'm standing in Bovel and all I could see in Eitzestrol is an Avela, I got to look into the mirror. When it comes to business, it's the same way. There's people who will blame the whole world why they're not successful. But you know what? First of all, you might not be right, might be right. But let's say you're right. Can I control other people? Can I control this one and that one? You got to be proactive. Effective people focus on what they can do, what they can change, what they can accomplish. They're not busy saying why it didn't work and how that person 
is so jealous of me, and if they wouldn't have been in my life, I would have today been not a millionaire, but a multimillionaire. Which brings me to habit number two of effective people. And habit number two is a word from Rebbe Yitzchak Badechev. He doesn't put it as a habit number two, but the word is his word. And he says this. He says in Parshish Noyach, it says that Noyach comes into the ark because the flood begins. So what does Rashi say? Noyach miktanei amonahoya. Noyach had little faith. He didn't have a lot of faith. He had to wait for the flood till he went in. How can Noyach have such little faith? How could we say that about him? 120 years, he's building an ark. That's called little faith. God spoke to him directly. He didn't even need faith. What does it mean he had little faith? doesn't make sense. Says Rebbe Yitzchak of Baditchev, you know what it means? Noyach was miktane amona. Not he had little faith in Hashem. Noyach miktane amona. You could look it up in Gdushas Levi, Parshas Noyach. Noyach miktane amona. Et kahat veinik emune in zich. He didn't believe in himself. He didn't believe that he can do anything. He can change anything. He can have a real impact. When Hashem tells Moshe Rabbein, I'm going to wipe out the Jewish people, what does he say? Erase me. It's not going to happen. And he accomplishes it. Mecheni is the same letters like Nei Noyach. Because Moshe was fixing what Noyach did. God tells Noyach, I'm going to destroy the world. And all he says is, okay, when? When you have to bang on the table and know the koyach know the power of your prayer. The Gemara says, Noyach didn't believe in himself. Many of us suffer from a similar syndrome, and in many different ways, we don't really believe that we deserve better. We don't really believe that we're capable of better. And because we don't believe in ourselves, we often choose that which is easiest, that which is most comfortable, because we don't believe we have the skills, we have the resources, we have the power. The greatest force that stops so many of our younger light, so many of our bachrim, so many of our young men and women is their own belief system that they're incapable of doing it. I was telling younger light the other day, I was reading, they used to have in Europe a circus of fleas. You know what fleas are? Bugs, little bugs. How would they make circuses of bugs? You make circuses with elephants, with tigers. These little tiny fleas would schlep little cardboard and they would have races. So I wondered, how do you make a circus with fleas? You have a flea, it flies away. How do you have a circus outdoors or anywhere with a flea? What do they do? They take these fleas, they place them in glass boxes. What does a bug do when you put it and you close it into a box? It flies up, tries to get out. So the flea flies up, bangs its head, boom. Doesn't have that much seichel, tries again, boom. Tries hundreds and thousands of times. And each time, it bangs its head. And then the flea realizes, this is not a good idea. Imagine if the roof is 10 inches, so the flea decides that it will never again fly higher than nine inches because if it does, it's going to bump its head. 
So in the box, it flies nine inches, not an inch more. They take it out of the box, and it continues to remain stuck within nine inches. It will never fly an inch above. In other words, it's trapped by its own belief system that it can't fly more than that because it's going to get hurt. How many of us have that belief system deep inside of us? Maybe I tried once, but I got a zetzib in a cup. I got a comment from some smart aleck in the office. Oh, that means the best. The guy You're made to be a captain, Ben captain, Ben Benoishal captain, Ben Ben Benoishal captain. We know you mishpuche. It belongs to you, and that's it. Don't complain. They say a ma'isa. They say a ma'isa. A woman once called up the rav, the rabbi, and she says, "Rabbi, I have a crisis. What? My husband Yankel won the lottery. What's the crisis?" It's $260 million. What's the crisis? Crisis is he's, he's going to faint and die when he hears the news. He's going to collapse. The rabbi says, send him to me before you tell him. I'll speak to him. Okay. He comes home. She says, the rabbi wants to talk to you. Chaim Yankel goes into the rav. The rav says, Chaim Yankel, how is your business doing? You sell life insurance? How is it going? She says, fine. I barely make ends meet. It's not happening. What do you do for something extra? I buy the lottery every day already for 20 years. But you know that people like me don't win. What do you mean? Somebody has to win? No, it's a Gentile in Kentucky, in Montana. Not people like me. He says, maybe fart. Some number has to win. Maybe it's you. He says, but listen, it's not happening. I don't win the lottery. I'm going to continue doing the apes to the alpha. Rav looks at him and says, Chaim Yankel, I ask you a question. What happens if you did win the lottery today? He says, Rebbe, it's a cholim shecholmu acheirim, alacheirim, alacheirim. He says, yeah, but what if you did happen? He says, you know, Rebbe, if I won the lottery today, I give you half. The Rebbe collapsed and died. Shekoyah. <laughs> <laughs> The Tzitkas HaTzadik, Ptodik HaKoyim Eloblin writes, Ois Kufnun Dalet, I quote verbatim, you could look it up. Kishem Shetzorich HaOdom Lahamin Ba'ashem Yizborich, Kach Achar Kach Tzorich Lahamin Ba'atzmoi. This is not a psychologist living on the east side of Manhattan, Aboisai. You could look it up, just like a person has to believe in the Rebbein Nishalolam, after that he has to believe in himself. Hashem cherishes him, loves him, wants him, and wants him to be successful and values every nakuda of his life. Now, now, every day, you go out, you want to make the call, you want to send the email, you want to go visit, and you say, hey, you know what? I'll stay behind. It's Thursday afternoon. We'll have a cholent in the office. It's always easier to have a toyamar cholent in the office Thursday afternoon because toys for Shabbos. Toyamar starts Thursday night. You start Thursday afternoon. Some start Wednesday afternoon. Some already. Then my holiday starts Sunday. Why even go to work? 
The way you have to operate is, imagine you believed completely in yourself and what you're doing. Would you still hesitate? So I tell you, my dear friends, make believe you believe in yourself. I know you don't believe in yourself. It's going to take a lot of years. Make believe you believe in yourself. Make believe. You're not interested, you don't believe. You do it. Make believe you believe in yourself. If you make believe enough times you believe in yourself, you'll see you're not such a bad guy. You'll see you're not such a bad guy. You can take a believe in your koiches. Which brings us to the next point, habit number three. A gewaldike word from the briskerov. Shira malo is b'shuva Hashem as shiva siyoin ha'yinu k'cholmim. What's that ha'yinu k'cholmim? We're going to wake up, it was all a dream. What does it mean it was all a dream? This is what he says. How many of you, I'm sure many of you like me, you have bad dreams, you have nightmares, you wake up suddenly, somebody was about to harm you, to kill you, to shoot you, do this, do that. You wake up, you wake up. Ask the brisker of, what's the difference? Somebody who lived through Khalila a very difficult situation. And they really lived it through. And then they get out of it. And then somebody who dreamt that they lived through that situation, and then they wake up. When they were living it through, it was the same. In the dream, you thought it was real. You felt the pain. So what's the difference? The difference, of course, is here you wake up. <laughs> and when you wake up, you realize it was a dream. It was garnished. There's nothing left. As though it never happened. If Khalila somebody went through something, they can't just wake up and say, it never happened. It happened. In life, there's a difference between a bruise and a tattoo. Bruises we all get. I give a clap, I get a bruise. A tattoo, on this there's a love. You're not let have a tattoo. What's the difference between a bruise and a tattoo? A bruise hurts, it goes away. A tattoo you take and you put it into yourself. Life offers us different kicks. Once in a while we fall, we stumble, we get embarrassed, we have shame, we get kicked down. The question we have to ask ourselves is, will it be a bruise or will it be a tattoo? A tattoo? I take in and it stays for eternity. A bruise? I got a bruise. I could move on. Is the ability that when Mashiach is going to come, says the brisker of, the Jewish people will be able to look at their history and say, They will not be a bruised people. We will not be a tzibroch in a nation. We won't be a nation that carries in ourselves tattoos, and therefore broken and devastated and crushed. We woke up from a dream. 
but we'll be able to be free, invigorated, fresh in life. This is a great skill of Hayinu Kecholmen. So a word from the Chsam Soifer. Chsam Soifer says, what is the meaning that Chana comes to pray for children? And Eli thinks she's drunk. Imagine a woman comes into shul to the Oren Kodesh, is davening for a child, and all the Kayin Gadol could say is, why are you drunk? Eli, the Kayin Gadol, couldn't recognize that here is a woman who wants children. He really accuses her of being drunk. And this is what the Chsam Seifer says. Eli looked at Chana and he saw a paradox. On one hand, he saw a broken person. She was devastated. She never had children and it crushed her to her core. On the other hand, he looked at Chana and he saw a certain joy, a certain atzilus, a certain edelkeit, a certain simcha sachayim. Where do you see this? You see this by drunk people. You know, I'm put him, a guy drinks. He's giggling and laughing. A minute later, he starts crying. A minute later, he's laughing, crying. He looks at Chana. He says, this is a drunk. He sees in her such deep sadness. And yet, he also sees in her joy. So Chana looks at Eli, and she says, Loi, Ishak shasruach anoichi. I have a difficult life. I have a terrible Nisoyen. I never had a child. Breaks my heart. That's one part of me. But But I also have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with the Rebbeinah Shalom. I pour out my soul to Hashem. I'm embraced by Him. I'm connected to Him. I'm one with Him. I have two sides in my life. Yes, there's elements of Kshas Ruach. But on the other hand, at the same time, I'm not drunk. I have these two elements in life. And the truth is, it's a paradigm for all of life. Every person has moments of difficulty. Every person has their challenges and their tests. Every day, sometimes it's a day, a week, a month, that's extremely challenging and difficult. On the other hand, you have a real intimate relationship with Hashem. You're carried by His arms. You're embraced by His presence. You're loved by Him unconditionally. That gives a balance, a balance in life. My dear friends, I want to conclude with two brief habits, communication and priorities. You're all in the field of communication. There is communication and there's communication. You want to sell your product. Let me show you about two, let me tell you about two people. A guy comes for a job, comes to the Biel Yitzchak, hire me. What's your chush? What's your skill? He says, I'm an extraordinary persuader. I can persuade anybody to do anything. 
There's a bottle of water on the desk. The Bioyal Yitzchak turns to him and said, Convince me to buy this bottle of water. Convince me. What would you do? He goes over to the garbage can, takes out a piece of paper, puts it on the desk, takes out a match, takes another few newspapers, puts it on the desk, lights it up. Within a few seconds, there's a big fire. The What's going on here? She says, how much money would you give me to sell you this bottle of water now? You understand how you have to communicate? I'll give you another example. There was a blind man sitting on the street. People are walking by. He wants charity. So he has a little box for people to throw in coins. And he has a sign. Somebody wrote for him. I'm a blind man. Please help me. So you know how people are. 60, 70% of people ignore the sign. They're busy. And some other people throw in a nickel, a dime, a quarter. Once in a while, a dollar. A woman goes by. She changes the sign. Suddenly, every person stops and empties out their pockets. The blind man doesn't know what hit him. How did this happen? He hears all the coins falling. Does anybody know what's going on? And the woman explains to him what happened. She turned around the sign and she changed the words. Instead of having written, I'm a blind man, please help me. What it says is, it's a beautiful day. And I can't see it. That's communication. When you communicate, before you try to be understood, try to understand. If you try to understand, you could communicate from a different place. You could explain to people why they need the bottle of water in a completely different way if you change the context of your communication. It's a beautiful day and I can't see it. Wow. That touches every person. It's a beautiful day and I can't see it. Not, I'm blind, please help me. You come to an office, you say, I sell life insurance. I need to buy a house. The prices in Brooklyn now went completely sugar. For a garage, it's a half a million dollars. For three bedrooms, you have to do me a favor, buy life insurance. That's one way. Then there's another way. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. That's a different type of communication. Finally, there was a teacher turned to his classroom. Turns to his classroom of t kids, youngsters, teenagers. Takes a big empty jar, fills it up with rocks till the top. Looks at them and then he says, Is there any room here to fill anything else up? They say, No, it's filled till the top with rocks. Fills up cups with sand, 
pours it in, it gets filled up with sand till the top. He says, is there any room for anything else? They say, no, it's filled till the top with sand. Takes water, a few cups of water, fills it up till the top. Oh, so there was room for sand, there was room for water. Maiden, they made a mistake. Turns to them and he says, what's the lesson? They say, the lesson is, you say you have no time, you have no space, you have time, you have space. Maybe not for rocks, for sand, for water. There's time and there's space. He says, that's not the lesson. It's a lesson, but that's not the lesson. The lesson is, fill up your jar with the most important things in life so that you have enough space for the small things in life. Because if you're going to start filling it up with water, you will not have any space for sand. You will not have any space for rocks. If you fill it up with sand, there's no way you're putting in any rocks there. Fill it up with the big important things in life. And then you'll have place for the smaller things. For sand. And then you'll have even place for water. Very often in life, we run around stressed. Overwhelmed. We're always putting out another fire. We're always dealing with another crisis. There's always another text that I didn't answer. There's always another email I didn't answer. There's always another issue with my child, my wife, my mechutin. This pressure, that pressure. I'm always behind. Always behind. You ever hear how people say a book about Rosh Hashanah? They say, this year Rosh Hashanah is early. This year Rosh Hashanah is late. This year it's very late. Somehow, our Yom and are never on time. By the Goyim, Yom and are always on By us, Yom and are always late. Late, early, late. They never come on time. Why is it? My life, my gate, what? End of Shabbos. Shabbos could come in 8 o'clock p.m. Shabbos could come in 4.30 p.m. Nobody's ever ready on time. There's no such a thing. You have an extra five hours, stressed, over. nobody knows why. What's the end my life, my gate, my life. Always catching up. And so a person's whole life gate has Every day, you're the master of your own day. Fill it, up with the, fill it up with the biggest, most important things. Be in full control. Give yourself the time you need for the most important things that they're covered. Whatever those important things are. Then, you have space for the sand, you have space for the water. If not, there's an internal breakdown of communication. I wish you tremendous Hatzlochem of Vlogger. Thank you very much. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.